evidence and answers. Cultural anthropologist Ernest Becker writes, The idea of death, the fear of it, haunts the human animal like nothing else. It is the mainspring of human activity. How does the fear of death affect us individually? And how does it affect societies? How do men and women seek to overcome death? What is the Christian's answer to the fear of death? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on our broadcast, Pat will be interviewing Dr. Clay Jones on man's greatest fear and how we seek to overcome our fear of death. Now with part one of this message is our host, Pat Zucran. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the issues of today. Well, cultural anthropologist Ernest Becker writes, the idea of death, the fear of it, haunts the human animal like nothing else. It is the mainspring of human activity. Well, how does the fear of death affect us individually? And how does it affect societies? How do men and women seek to overcome the fear of death? And what is the Christian's answer to the fear of death? Well, to help us address this issue is Dr. Clay Jones. Dr. Jones holds a Doctor of Ministry from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and is a visiting scholar for the Masters of Arts in Christian Apologetics at Talbot School of Theology there at Biola University. Formerly, Clay hosted Contend for the Truth, which was a nationally syndicated call-in talk radio program where he debated professors from different various worldviews, radio talk show hosts, cultists, religious leaders, and representatives from animal rights, abortion rights, gay rights, and atheist organizations. He was the CEO of Simon Greenleaf University, now the Trinity Law School, and was on the pastoral staff of two large churches. And presently, he is the chairman of the board of the University Apologetics Ministry that we've had on this show as well, Ratio Christi and is a contributing writer for the Christian Research Journal and specializes on issues related to why God allows evil. And we're talking about a book that he produced today, Immortal, How the Fear of Death Drives Us and What We Can Do About It. So, Clay, welcome to Evidence and Answers. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be on with you, Pat. I'm pleased to do it. Yes, and the book he wrote is called Immortal, How the Fear of Death Drives Us and What We Can Do About It. And what led you to write this book, Clay? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, I was reading a book, and this book happened to lead me to a, a French philosopher named Luc Fetty, and a Paris philosopher, and he wrote a book entitled a, a Brief History of Thought. And I, you know, I like to do a lot of reading. I guess that's what professors kind of guys do. And I picked, got his book, but he said something I'd never seen before. He said, the quest for a salvation without God is at the heart of every great philosophical system, and that is its essential and ultimate objective. And honestly, I was blown away. I don't consider myself a philosopher. If I was going to say anything, I'd be a theologian. Uh, I have a BA in philosophy, but that really does not a philosopher make. But I didn't know that. I didn't know that, that they were saying that a quest for salvation without God is at the heart of every great philosophical system. And so I, was, I, was, I, got, I said, I've got to find out more. And so I, I start reading and reading and reading and reading and just do other people say this kind of thing? Do other philosophers say this kind of thing? I'll just give you one more quote that I think is really applicable. Plato 
said, truly then, those who practice philosophy aright are cultivating dying. And for them, least of all men, does being dead hold any terror. And then Plato in another place said, practicing philosophy in the right way is in fact training to die easily. And so as I kept reading, I learned that Stoicism and Epicureanism were actually about how to die. A lot of the other philosophers, and I could quote many, I won't do that now, it's not the point, but it was interesting to me to find out that indeed this was, uh, that philosophers are saying, hey, how do we deal with the fact that we're going to die? But then I started looking into psychologists and sociologists and anthropologists, and I was amazed to find that they think that this is the, really, the thing that drives human nature more than any other thing is the fact that people are afraid they're going to die. And so then I was on it. I mean, I'm in. I, I was getting, you know, I, bought, I probably read uh, or at least referenced over 300 books. My book, Immortal, has 700 footnotes. And I was in just studying this and reading journal articles and stuff. And, and indeed, how people face death is determining much of our culture. In fact, some of these guys would even say it's determining all of our culture. I wouldn't go quite that far because men were created in the image of God, but it surely is determining much of our culture. And so that's, that's how, anyway, that's how the book got started is where I just went, man, I, this is amazing because I do think that the fear of death is driving almost all of human behavior. If you're a non-Christian, if you're a Christian, it shouldn't be that way. But if you're a non-Christian, it's driving your behavior. Yeah, it seems like that's a topic, at least here in the West, that we don't want to talk about. No. It's something we do everything we can to distract us and ignore this particular topic. Yeah, absolutely. We do not. In fact, it became a, it, it was funny to me because I'd be walking into church on a Sunday morning and so, somebody would say, what are you writing on? And I'd say, uh, I'm writing on the book about how the fear of death drives us. And and I told so many different people, Christians and non-Christians, this, and they're, they blurt, I don't fear death, like, like they'd have to make this proclamation. Oh. And what I concluded after a while was they're not entirely being dishonest because they don't think about their death. They don't think about their death at all, not at all. It's only when they find a lump somewhere or they get a positive back on a blood test or they get a chest pain or something like that, then the fear of death stands in front of them and won't leave the room. The rest of the time, they're like, no, no, I don't, I'm not afraid of it because they're not thinking about it. But here's the key verse, Pat, is uh, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says that Jesus became flesh so that he could conquer him who has the power of death, that is the devil. And now listen to these, here's the key words, and free those who all their lives were held in bondage by their fear of death. Notice that the Bible itself says that this non-Christian state of existence is that they are held in bondage. Some translations use slavery. Lifelong bondage, it uses the word lifelong, or all their lives, are held in slavery by their fear of death. So it's not just psychologists, sociologists, and philosophers saying this is what's going on in society. The Bible agrees with that and says people are terrified by death. And my answer, by the way, is only those, the only ones accepted by that are those who have a robust belief of eternal life in Jesus. Everyone else is held in bondage by their fear of death. Yeah, you state here that, you know, the fear of death is one of the main driving forces in us. And so, I mean, how much do people fear their deaths? Outwardly, they're saying, I'm not afraid of death. The true man, you know, faces death in the face and is unafraid. And, you know, in the movies before he dies, he says, I'll see you in hell, Billy, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. But how much do people really fear their death? 
Well, I, I mean, the answer to that is if they face it, if they face it, it terrifies them. That's why they do their best not to face it. There's a section in my book where I talk about what happens with people if they don't have a robust view of eternal life in Jesus. The first thing you do is deny it. You deny that you're afraid of death. Uh, That's the first thing you do. But you can't just deny something without distracting yourself from it. I think everybody understands that. You can't just, for instance, there's an old joke, think about whatever you want, but for the next two minutes, uh, don't think about pink elephants. Well, everybody knows that the answer to that is the answer to not thinking about pink elephants is to think about blue elephants. That's how you get your mind off it. And so what happens is, is you have denial, but then you have distraction. And so most people are distracting themselves from their, that's why we spend so much time on social media. Like I should say at least one of the reasons so much time we spend on television, on the internet, entertaining ourselves, watching sports is because we need to get our minds off of the fact that we're going to die. In fact, I, I think once you begin to realize this, people have, I've heard people over the years say, why do we pay sports stars, movie stars, singing stars, actors, actresses, whatever, why do we pay them so much more than we pay teachers or this or that occupation? And the answer is actually very simple, because actors and actresses and movie stars and celebrities are, getting, are, are doing the thing that's most important to us. They're helping us not think about the fact that we're going to die. As three psychologists, and there's a book entitled The Worm at the Core, I I quote it in my book, Immortal, but these three psychology professors at different universities wrote a book together, and they said, if people had an ongoing, unmitigated uh, recognition of their death, of the fear of death, uh, the fact that they were going to die, that they would be quivering blobs of biological protoplasm completely suffused with anxiety and unable to meet the needs of their immediate surroundings. (laughs) And I think that's true. Uh, I think people are that afraid of death, uh, and it. And so, but anyway, there's denial, distraction, and then if that, you know, and then of course there's people are using. People go, why are people using drugs? Of course, I sit there and go, of course people are using drugs. And I'm going to say something. I want to do a blog on this one of these days. Drugs are the answer. Now, of course, if you're not a Christian, uh, because, man, you've got to dull the pain, baby. Uh, I'm going to die, and, I'm, and you know, my body's going to be eaten by worms. Well, denial and distraction, you get depressed. Of course you're going to use drugs. And I think you know, Pat, I'm not, you know, I'm obviously not endorsing drug use. That's not mm-hmm. the point. But my point is, is that if you're not a Christian, people go, why do we have an opioid crisis? We have an opioid crisis because people are trying to dull the pain of the fact that they know they're going to die. And so then there's, you know, I mean, drugs and then suicide. And that may seem counterintuitive, but that people would commit suicide because of their fear of death. But as uh, psychology or psychiatry professor emeritus at Stanford University, Irving Yalom put it, it's just suicide is an active act. It allows one to control that which controls one. And if you start looking in psychological literature, you'll find an awful lot of people say the reason people are committing suicide is is exactly because they're afraid they're going to die, wow. and they know that anyway. And so they how how are we going to compensate for this? Well, I'll just take why wait for it? I'll just take my life now. I've got nothing going on. In my book, by the way, I quote an atheist, and there's a study on this that atheists are more likely to commit suicide than are those that are religiously affiliated. So anyway, yeah, denial, distractions suicide. Uh, Of course, then you enter into all kinds of, you know, symbolic and immortality projects and so on, where you can somehow go living on forever, but it's a mess. 
I don't know if I'm asking the right question, but it seems contrary to the naturalist worldview to fear death. If death is just a natural part of our evolutionary cycle and ultimately the world was brought here by accident, everything ends in death anyway, you know, the universe, uh, our solar system, mankind. And it seems kind of unnatural to fear death that much if, you know, that was just part of the natural order. And that was exactly what you just said. It was exactly the argument of Epicurus. Epicurus was, well, you didn't exist before you died, and you're not going to exist after you died. If you're afraid of the fact that you're not going to exist after you die, shouldn't you, I said before you died, before you were born, if you didn't exist before you were born, and that doesn't scare you, that doesn't bother you, and you're not going to exist after you die, why should that scare you any more than you should be afraid of the fact that you didn't exist before you were born? But that actually was answered by a Berkeley philosopher, and he says, look, he says, suppose you were at at one time a very contented baby and as long as your diaper was changed and you were fed you were happy and now you are a fully functioning adult uh, if somebody came up to you and said hey you now have a disease that's going to bring you to the place where you're now a just not going to be any more than a contented baby and as long as we change your diapers and uh, <laughs> feed you well you'll be happy this philosopher went on I think it was Nagel but he says you know he says look it isn't for the baby that we're sorry. It's for the fully functioning adult. When you die, even as an atheist, you're losing everything you have, everything you value. It's all gone. You're losing your relationships. You're losing everything. I mean, it's, it's so the idea that you can look and lose everything, it doesn't work. And I certainly, I talk about Epicurus at, at, Epicurus at length in my book. I don't think it worked for him. I think, frankly, he was living in denial and carrying on what, I, what are called symbolic immortality uh, projects but the idea that you're going to be okay with the fact that you're going to not exist anymore but it gets worse then the worst part is as Solomon put it in Ecclesiastes the Lord has implanted eternity in the hearts of men and I think he's implanted something else the Holy Spirit of course convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment and I think down in their heart of hearts people are oh I know they are not just I think I mean I know they are uh, are desperately afraid of dying and being judged and then going to eternal torment. Bart Ehrman, who used to be a Christian, famous skeptic now and critic of Christianity, Bart Ehrman put it, he says, he says, there are still times when I wake up in a cold sweat afraid that I'm going to go to hell. You know, he said that in his book, God's Problem. I mean, yeah, they can sit there and go, atheists will talk boldly, but they're not. Really, it doesn't work that way. And so, by the way, symbolic immortality projects are the way a lot of people handle death is they're going to go on some way symbolically through writing a book or having children or stuff like that. And all of the atheists, and I quote many of them, are doing exactly Exactly the same thing. They're saying, yeah, well, I'm writing books and I'm making a difference. Neil deGrasse Tyson says that he wants on his tombstone that the only one that should fear death is the man who has not made a difference in the world. That's, that's a very rough quote of it. But in other words, I've got to do something symbolically that's going to live on beyond me. That's what atheists are hoping for, is it's not, they're going to have some sort of symbolic immortality upon their death. Yeah, you write about immortality projects here, and you touched on some of them. So uh, let's go into that a little bit. The fear of death drives people to on this quest uh, that you said for some kind of immortality. Right. 
and you talk about two types, literal and symbolic. Tell us, what do you mean by literal immortality projects? Literal immortality projects are kind of bizarre because it is, well, people are going to understand this, of course, immediately. A lot of people are literally trying to live forever. And I realize people are like, well, that, that can't happen right now. But people are still hoping. What people have this hope is, is that uh, science is going to find a way. If I just eat right, if I just exercise enough, if I do just all the right things, then science is one day going to find the way, and I'm going to then live, you know, they're going to cure what ails me, and I'm going to get to live forever. So that, you know, a lot of people, Whole Foods markets are full of such hopefuls uh, that are hoping that they're going to eat just the right stuff until, until science figures it out and we live forever. But that's, I, I hate to break it to everybody, that's not happening. People don't, and I go through the science here, People don't understand something. They think, for instance, I'll give you an example. People say, well, it, what if they cured, they found the cure for every form of cancer? In other words, there's no longer even one kind of cancer in the world, none. Nathan Keefitz, who is a Harvard demographer, uh, did, this is not an estimate. This is certainly not a guesstimate. This is a calculation based on hard, cold data. He said that if they cured every single form of cancer, that people would only live 2.265 years longer than they do now. Wow. 2.265 years. In other words, you wouldn't live a lot longer. Uh, people are confused also uh, by, the, by the mortality rate. And it, it's true that around the turn of the 20th century, the mortality average was about 49 years old, 48 and a half years old. Now, average mortality is like 78.5 years. And see, what people have done is, is they've said, isn't science wonderful? Look at, we're living, I mean, getting close to double the uh, amount of time people used to live in just a, a little over 100 years. But what they don't understand is, is that is not true. What's caused the rapid increase is a decrease in infant mortality through infection because we discovered antibiotics. So many more babies now are living past infancy that didn't before. Uh, and that has caused, caused the age uh, uh, mortality rate to go way up. But people on the whole, once they got out of infancy, once they got, let's say, into you know, four or five years old, they missed the early childhood diseases, people are only living about a year longer than they did at the turn of the 20th century. It just isn't so maybe two years, but it just isn't so. So the idea that one day science is going to find this, you know, super pill and we're all going to live a lot longer, it isn't happening. And it just, you know, but, but see, here's the thing, Pat, and you know this, if you don't have God, you got to hope in something. And so for a lot of people, their hope is science. Their hope is technology, that mm -hmm. science is going to find a way. And so, as you know, that, so people, you can tell them this, look them right in the eye and say, it's not happening, friends. And they're not, they're not going to believe you because they don't, they just absolutely do not want to believe you because it's too horrible to think of the fact that their bodies are going to die. Yes, you know, and so these literal immortality projects have been very successful, but there are other ways in which people are trying to be immortal. For example, you know, many movies and TV shows talk about computers becoming conscious and yeah. things like the brain being uploaded into some kind of singularity or some kind of That's right. mainframe right. supercomputer. What, what's that all about? That's right. Yeah, and as you know, I talk about that at length in my book, and I think it. I think that's uh, that's just amazing because that's not happening. See, this is another 
people are desperate to hope that science is going to find a way to keep them alive. They're just desperate for it. Uh, but we don't, for instance, your brain has a thousand trillion connections, a thousand trillion. We know there's a worm called C. elegans. Uh, I don't, the, the C stands for some long Latin name, I don't remember. But C. elegans, they have mapped its entire brain, which is 302 neurons. They said, because we've mapped its entire brain, they, this one scientist says, we have no idea whatsoever how that C. elegans brain works, none. The fact that we can map it doesn't mean that we can reproduce it. Doesn't mean that we could make one that works like it. And that's the simplest brain in the world, is the brain of C. elegans. And they've mapped every neuron, they've mapped every connection, and they say, we have no idea. Just because we can map it doesn't mean we can make it work. But people are like, no, no, but it's gonna happen. Well, you know, I mean, and that's just wishful thinking. And I understand the wishful thinking because people are desperate about that. They, they desperately want this to happen. Not only that, but but consciousness, and here's another thing, of course, and this is what skeptics, this is what naturalists believe, you brought up naturalists, is that we're just material stuff. If I believe that, if I believe that we were just material stuff, then I think, well, maybe somehow non-material stuff like circuit boards could become conscious one day, you know. I mean, maybe that's possible, but we're not just non-material stuff. Uh, your, you know, the, your listeners' memories of their 16th birthday are not, you know, I mean, are not just electrons moving. The fact that we have information, that we can talk to each other, are not, it's not just material stuff. Thoughts are not, are, the things that we say are not just material stuff. You have a uh, soul and this soul is not going to be inhabit a computer, and that's just all there is to it. So none of these things are going to work. This is not going to be successful. Yeah, you know, there are a number of people saying that they're going to be frozen, you know, and perhaps at a later time when technology yeah. is better, uh, they'll be reawakened and things. Is, how about that? Is that going to work? Yeah, yeah, that's not going to work. You know, first of all, again, well, as Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. When you die, your soul leaves your body. But let's just put that aside for a minute. Cryonics has so, no, so, so many problems with it. But here's one of my favorite problems uh, with cryonics. And if you go to Alcor, the life or the Alcor Life Extension Foundation, that's ALCOR, the Alcor Life Extension Foundation in Scottsdale, Arizona, and you look at their website, look up uh, sonic fracturing events, because one of the problems that they have is, is when you get someone, somebody's body liquid nitrogen cold, their organs start fracturing. Your oh. brain fractures. I mean, literally, I mean, it starts cracking. In fact, it's exactly, and they say this, if you go to Alcor, don't take my word for it, go to Alcor's site, and you'll see it's the same exact experience uh, that you have when you drop uh, ice in a warm Diet Coke. Notice I said diet because I, let's, I prefer it over regular. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, what happens when you drop ice in a, uh, in, a, in a warm Coke? It goes crack, crack, and you can actually see where the ice is cracking. That same thing happens to your organs. Like mm. I say, go to Alcor's site. They talk about this openly. They say, well, maybe we'll be able to, like, one day we'll be able to sew it together or glue it together. They're going to glue together your brain. They're going to glue together all your organs. Good luck with that. There's no way. People that have really studied this realize you, you can't freeze something and then, and then cause it, start to thaw it. Anything that's large, you can't freeze it like it 
we're talking liquid nitrogen, right? 176 uh-huh. below zero. You can't thaw it without ice crystals forming in the tissues. What are those ice tissues? Those ice crystals going to do? Well, they're breaking. They're breaking down your tissues. They're breaking up your organs. It's not going to happen. On Alcor's site again, and somebody said, "Well, have you ever brought even a small animal back to life from being frozen?" And they 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 got kind of snarky. Like I said, go to their website. It's kind of a snarky. Well, that should be obvious because and their answer is no they haven't brought anything back to life in other words this is completely untested technology there's a lot of things wrong with it yet Larry King Seth MacFarlane Simon Cowell all have said publicly they intend to be cryonically frozen so that you know they can come back one day this is not going to work yes and you know there's a Another movement, the transhumanism. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, we're, we're going to discover biotechnology that will enhance our bodies. We are going, and through uh, genetic engineering, we're going to uh, zap the aging gene in our body and cure disease and, you know, be stronger. We're going to have microchips in our brain, so we'll have Google-like intelligence, you know, and that's going to bring us eternal life. run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 4830586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Yeah.